Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Tour, the podcast from American Christian Tours that goes behind the scenes of the most iconic sites, historic characters, and true stories in American history to discover how God has been at work since the very beginning. Well, this is Aaron Cronk, and I am here today with Tracy Gregory, one of American Christian Tours education program leaders. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Aaron. I always love talking to you. And uh, Tracy, I feel the same way. I just, I think we're two little peas in a pod. Uh, We love good conversation. We love the Lord and we love kids and we love American history. So I think, uh, yeah, we're going to have a great conversation today. Well, in this episode of Behind the Tour, we want to take you to visit a brand new memorial, which isn't really brand new, but it's new uh, in Washington, D.C., and it, it opened up about a year ago. And it's not just a memorial, but it's a memorial to a president of the United States. So we'll give you a second to try and guess which president that this memorial honors. Now, keep in mind, we already have presidential memorials in Washington, D.C. to George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, and Franklin D. Roosevelt. So which one is it? Tracy, you want to give any clues to our listening audience? Yes. Five-star general, president of the country. What else? Someone that uh, had a deep relationship with God. Okay, that's awesome. Well, if you haven't uh, guessed by now, it is Dwight D. Eisenhower. What an amazing man. We're going to start off by going uh, behind the person for a little bit here, Tracy. And as we talk about Dwight D. Eisenhower, this, this man that we're focusing on today, our 34th president, uh, he was really, really unique in American history uh, and is one of the most consequential, uh, admired, and I would dare say complex man uh, uh, that lived in the 20th century. Now, his story begins in poverty in rural Texas and then travels through Kansas, West Point in New York and uh, the West Point Military Academy, two world wars, and then ultimately down Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. And this is a story of a man whose growing faith uh, sustained him through the loss of a young son, uh, marital difficulties, depression, career disappointments, and being witness to some of the worst atrocities in our human history, really. And a man whose own personal faith journey was based in his own sincere personal conviction and not out of a sense of uh, political or social obligation. So, Tracy, uh, what what do you have to say about uh, our uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower's early life? It's amazing how many of our really presidents were actual statesmen, not politicians, were people who grew up in very humbling circumstances and really had to earn their place, not only in the world financially, but earn their place as they became president, as they came into the military, they had nothing, you know, to promote them, but their hard work and their character and their relationship with God. And I find that an amazing thing about him. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of early life, uh, you know, I just think about my own life 
and how I grew up, you know, with with parents and my brother and sister. And uh, I think that those those, you know, how we're formed early in life by those around us, especially our, our nuclear family, uh, is really important. And I, I look at I look at uh, Dwight Eisenhower, and you know, he's the third he's the third son uh, in uh, a seven boy family. You know, he was born in Denison, Texas. Uh, only spent about a year there, and then moved to Abilene, which he really considered home. Right, Tracy? Right. So you know, living in Abilene, and they, they, uh, him and his parents and brothers moved onto uh, kind of a farm, and it was a creamery that his grandparents owned, and he did a lot of hard work. Yes, and how ironic that as he grew up, his family not only did he know how to have to do, um, you know, hard manual labor, but his family were Mennonites or pacifists. And he ends up being in charge of the allied forces in world war two. How, how ironic is that? Sounds like God had a plan. Yeah. And I love stuff like that because, you know, our own plans, we can plan our lives. And even scripture says that, you know, we plan our, our footstep, but God footsteps, but God directs our paths. He, he has exactly where he wants us to go. And uh, Dwight Eisenhower was no exception. No. And, you know, it's so uh, in this time in our culture, in this time in our history, we had everything available to us within 24 hours. And sometimes we forget to wait on the Lord. And in Eisenhower's life and a lot of our founding father's lives, there was nothing else you could do besides wait upon the Lord. And it's a lesson we need to learn. Well, Eisenhower was born in 1890, and he would he would leave the farm. He would leave Abilene, and he joins West Point Military Academy in 1911 because he right. was there for four years, and I think he graduated from West Point in 1915. Yes. So he was a youngster, and Tracy, what do you what do you think about his joining the military academy at West Point? I think that's a twofold thing. Um, if he if it hadn't been for West Point, he probably his family would not have been able to afford college. And as we were talking earlier, he longed for adventure. And since he had read a bunch of his grandparents' books about military, I think all boys go through that. Yeah. You know, it seems very, I want to be courageous. I want to be brave. I want to do something that matters. And this is a place where I can learn some things. Well, and he had quite, uh, he, he had quite a military life. He would graduate in 1915 and there was the World War One uh, was going to, was going on. It started in 1914. And Tracy, wanna, give, give me a couple little bullet points that you can think of in terms of uh, the military career that Dwight Eisenhower would have, he would he would spend 37 years as uh, a career military guy. Uh, what are what are a couple high points? Well, of course, you know, being the the commander during World War II, um, but it, he had a very strong skill in being able to organize. And people have said to me before, you know, he was never actually in battle, but God had him in a place to become the Supreme Commander because he was so, so skilled at organizing. And as a leader, people followed him. Yeah, his skills as a leader uh, seemed to be just incredible. And uh, he spent a lot of time early, early on in his military career as kind of supporting staff. You know, he, he uh, was, was a guy that I think... I think in his humility, Tracy, he he, has, he had some pretty good aspirations, I think. 
uh, but he didn't settle, but he, he was so humble that he, he accepted what he got, what was given to him. And he was patient. He was patient because he did have dreams. He had dreams of, you know, uh, being uh, just a phenomenal uh, general that would, that would help direct and help, uh, you know, fight uh, on stages for world freedom. Well, in December of 1943, of course, he was appointed Supreme Commander of the Allied Expeditionary Forces. Uh, But in 1944, he commanded the forces of uh, something that was really, really big uh, in in World War II, which was the Normandy invasion. So, Tracy, why why was that a why was why do you think that was a that was a big deal? I think it's a big deal because when you are in command of everybody, if something fails, you could easily let somebody else you know, be under the bus for that mistake. But ahead of time, he said, if this fails, it is my fault. Yeah. I find that amazing character. Yeah. And he knew, you know, he, he knew at that point that that it could fail uh, and that this was going to be a huge turning point uh, in in this war. So his, his, his thought on, hey, if this does fail, this isn't the, this isn't the, the soldier's fault. This is my fault. Uh, and telling people that was, uh, I think, just screamed about his humility and the kind of person and leader that he was. That's a person you would you want to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tracy, let's talk about a little bit before we leave uh, this this segment uh, about uh, another, you know, kind of one of the final chapters, well, the big final chapters of his life uh, is his presidency. So he retired from the military and uh, ran for president. And I'm not quite sure. I don't think I've ever read what really compelled him to uh, run for president, but he did under the slogan of we like Ike. And when he was little, he was called little Ike. Uh, He had a bigger brother, one of his seven brothers that was called big Ike. So how those two came to get those two names, I'm not sure, but big Ike and little Ike. And then he used that campaign slogan for his presidency of we like Ike. He just dropped the little, which I think was probably a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I've read a couple books about, it was just the groundswell. And he said, if the people want me, I will serve. But he wasn't going to, it's another uh, point of his humility that he wasn't going to make the play for it. Well, Tracy, what else, uh, what else would define his presidency? What would be another couple of bullet points that you would put in that would uh, define, and there are so many, but what what else would define uh, the eight years, the two terms that uh, Eisenhower was president? He was very organized and he ran the presidency like a, like a military person would. He put all these things into place to make it a good running machine, but he really had it going very well. Um, um, the armistice of the Korean War, Alaska and Hawaii becoming states. And the big one for me is the Civil Rights Act of 1957 that's protecting the uh, vote of the black people. And it was the first legislation since Reconstruction, since the Civil War. Sad that it took till 1957, but he very much wanted to integrate the military. Yeah, and Tracy, I wish we had more time to go into it, but he he signed the bill creating NASA. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, people wonder, hey, you know, when did NASA start? Well, this, you know, this was the advent of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Uh, he also signed legislation with the transcontinental highway system. Right. And the integration of the Little Rock um, Central uh, High School, when he sent federal troops in to integrate that. One of the things that we don't realize that Eisenhower was the driving force behind, he added one nation under God to our Pledge of Allegiance. 
This is a man, obviously, that has a relationship with God and assumes that our country has a relationship with God because we are a Christian nation. And also in God, we trust in our money. A man that also recognizes the government is not our source. The money is not our source, but God is. Yeah. So he wanted to make sure that that was, that was placed on our paper currency. Mm-hmm. And that happened early on in his administration. Right. And back when we used to say the Pledge of Allegiance every day, every day we were committing our, our nation to God. And it's time uh, for Behind the Quote right about now when we share a famous quote related to our subject and our st- in the story behind it. So, uh, Tracy, I'll, I'll uh, read the quote. This is from Eisenhower's first inaugural address, and then we can uh, take a couple minutes to uh, talk about it and dissect it a little bit. Well, in his first inaugural address, President Eisenhower says this. He says, we must be ready to dare all for our country, for history does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or the timid. We must acquire proficiency in defense and display stamina in purpose. We must be willing individually and as a nation to accept whatever sacrifices may be required of us. A people that values its privileges above its principles soon loses both. Patriotism means equipped forces and a prepared citizenry. Moral stamina means more energy and more productivity on the farm and in the factory. Love of liberty means the guarding of every resource that makes freedom possible. From the sanctity of our families and the wealth of our soil to the genius of our scientists. And so each citizen plays an indispensable role. The productivity of our heads, our hands, and our hearts is the source of all the strength we can command for both the enrichment of our lives and the winning of peace. This is the hope that beckons us onward in this century of trial. This is the work that awaits us all to be done with bravery, with charity, with prayer to Almighty God. So that's that's a pretty good inaugural address, isn't it, Tracy? Yeah, awesome. Um, The fact that he has served the whole time in the military is not a warmonger. He wants peace, Um, knows that that's going to make our nation the most happy is to have peace. And that he recognizes from the farmer to the scientist that we all have a part to play. We all have our, just like the body of Christ, we all have our part to play. He's very patriotic. And the fact that moral stamina stamina means more than energy and productivity. That money, things, wealth is not the answer. It's the moral stamina, our relationship with Christ. The sanctity of our families. That's huge. That's the foundation of our whole country is the sanctity of our families. You can tell he just has a great biblical foundation of what our country is about. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about patriotism and he talks about mm-hmm. sacrifice. And, you know, I just, I've always loved, I've, I've loved that part of his address where he says a people that values its privileges above its principles soon loses both. Uh, my, right. my goodness, that does that ring true? And we start thinking about our country and we start thinking about, you know, the wealth, uh, the prosperity that we've enjoyed and had. Uh, but if we place our privileges in, in essence above the principles, or even our founding principles and our godly principles, uh, that we're going to lose both. Right. And the fact that instead of by tradition, we've always had a minister pray at the end of the inauguration, and he didn't do that. He turned to the crowd and said, let's pray. And he prayed himself. That's 
that's somebody who takes his relationship with God intertwined with how he's going to run this country uh, pretty seriously. Yeah. And, and he's, you know, just like you and me, Tracy, and and everybody else that's listening, uh, you know, we're all on a journey. You know, we're not all in the same place, but thank goodness we have God's word. Thank goodness we have uh, you know, the ability to pray and thank goodness we have uh, the opportunity for good community, a uh, Christian community. And uh, Eisenhower was a firm believer. My goodness, you know, after he, I know that after he retired, this is a little side note, but after he retired, uh, he went to, to Gettysburg and actually started up uh, tr- like uh, home churches and would meet in people's homes and wanted, wanted to see people's relationship with God uh, increase. So, you know, we think about the kind of, uh, st- you know, we think about his story, you know, and our stories in relationship to his too, that, uh, that, that God really wants us to uh, think about um, and remember uh, what uh, what has happened in, in past. Absolutely. I love when we're in Gettysburg going by that church, the guys don't point it out, but I always point out where his church is. Yeah, right. Yeah. Tracy, uh, let's uh, move on to our our next segment here, and this is this is the main subject, really. Well, we've been on the main subject of uh, Eisenhower, but uh, we're, we, I want to talk about the Eisenhower Memorial with you. Um, this new memorial that stands at uh, a previously unnamed plaza that was basically vacant uh, in Washington D.C., now known as Eisenhower Square. And it's right uh, by the the uh, Department of Education building and across the street from the Air and Space Museum. For those of our listeners that have been to Washington, D.C., I know that everybody hasn't, but we have uh, many listeners that have been on tour with us and had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. Well, the U.S. Capitol building is about three blocks away as well. To me, Tracy, this memorial is fairly simple. It's beautiful. Uh, but it is simple. Maybe there's beauty and simplicity, and it kind of gives the icons of the different stages, at least the major stages of President Eisenhower's life. So, uh, Tracy, what's the, the first one when you walk into the plaza from the uh, one of the sides would be Dwight Eisenhower as a barefoot boy kind of sitting there uh, in Abilene who dreamed about his future uh, with the inscription from his Abilene homecoming speech that's put on a wall there. What do you, what do you think about that? I, I like that very much. And I like that he was always proud of where he came from and, and his humble beginnings. I thought it's kind of sad that it, there's no reflection of his relationship with God in that memorial. It's beautiful, but knowing so much more about Eisenhower's life, I, I wish that were reflected in that. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Tracy. And you know, no, no memorial. Of course, we uh, this this spurs and hopefully will spur uh, people to think about and even do a little bit more research on the person of of Dwight Eisenhower. And uh, so, you know, memorials encourage its viewers to uh, to think. Uh, to ponder and to maybe do a little bit more investigation too. But you're right. The, uh, you know, the faith component of anybody should never be left out of uh, or diminished in any way, shape and form in, in terms of the memorials. But it is beautiful. I, I, the, especially as you move forward and you go to the, uh, the area of Normandy D-Day, that is beautiful. It's not totally complete yet, but it's going to be gorgeous. Yeah. Well, Tracy, one of the, one of the primary features of this memorial is, 
uh, a pretty amazing tapestry that's made from woven stainless steel cable. So I always, you know, when I go to memorials in it, I love to see this kind of the creativity behind it uh, or different aspects of the memorial. And this one's kind of cool to me uh, just because of the size of this tapestry and kind of what it features. So Trace, why don't you tell our listeners what it features? Well, it's 447 feet long and 60 feet tall. And it's the tapestry of the France's uh, Normandy coastline. And it represents Eisenhower I, this as the Supreme Commander of the Allied um, Expeditionary Forces in World War II and against Nazis. And I think if anybody thinks about World War II, that's probably the first thing they think about is D-Day invasion. So it's wonderful that it's going to be depicted so beautifully. Yeah. And, you know, one of the the aspects that struck me about this was that it depicts the the coastline, the Normandy coastline uh, in peacetime. So mm-hmm. it could either mean before or after World War II. I'd probably go with after because of, yes. of Eisenhower's, uh, his contribution in obtaining that piece. Yes. And oh, gosh, if it were depicted wartime, oh, my gosh, just thinking of all those young boys, all those young men, you know, giving their all for us. Well, and that's a great segue, Tracy, into another, uh, you know, the centerpiece really of the memorial which are two large bronze sculptures. And uh, one of them, one of these bronze sculptures is is uh, Eisenhower uh, as the Supreme Commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force uh, talking to his men. You know, to our listeners, uh, if you've never heard that speech, you can go online and listen to his speech. And it's just really good. Uh, and he's trying to encourage and embolden uh, the soldiers uh, to go into what they know is going to be uh, death <laughs> or potential death. Yes. And remember the average age boy dying in any of these wars is 19 years old. They are boys. They are young men, very yeah. young men. Yes. Yeah. So when he calls them boys, he's, he's speaking literally. Yes. Well, Tracy, so there's another bronze sculpture there adjacent to Eisenhower giving the speech to his soldiers, what what does that sculpture represent? Him as the president, the 34th president, and his being on the global stage and dealing with nuclear growth in the in this with the Soviets, by the Soviets. And what a talk about it about walking on eggshells time. They've just completed this war, but Soviets are still um, into nuclear growth. And he's got to deal with that in such a way that we don't go into a third world war. And how do we contain this? How do we control this? That's got to take some smarts, some intelligence, and some character. Yeah, Tracy, I totally agree with you. And again, I, you know, I put this on a spiritual level and think about you know, Eisenhower's dependence and growing dependence on God. Uh, because you think about other past characters like Abraham Lincoln you know, in, in the crucible of what he had to go through during his presidency. And you think about again, Abraham Lincoln's acknowledgement of God and, you know, having a Bible on his desk during his presidency and him understanding God's word. But they 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 knew what they needed. They knew they couldn't do it on their own. And Eisenhower was not an exception to that. Uh, he His dependence on the Lord was growing and continued to grow. And that was evident. Absolutely. In this episode, we want to start by putting out a call to our listeners, an opportunity to be a part of the upcoming edition of Behind the Tour. When each of us stops and takes time to focus on what God has done in our lives, we begin to realize how much more we have to be thankful for. Yeah, absolutely, Tracy. And we would love to give you an opportunity to share your thanksgiving with our audience. 
To participate, make a short voice recording of yourself on your cell phone, sharing about that person, thing, or event that you're thankful for, and then email and attach it to us at behind the tour, all one word, at axacts-tours.com. And uh, we're hoping to include a number of these behind the thanks recordings in our podcast as we get closer to Thanksgiving. So uh, recording may be edited, not all recordings may be included. And recording should be submitted by the end of October of 2021. So we hope that you'll do that. And we'd love to hear from you again about uh, this recording and sharing about that person, place, or thing or event that you're thankful for. Okay, well, it's guys, it's time for a couple minutes of Cronk's Corner here. And uh, the following story that I'm going to give to you guys uh, is from Just As I Am, the autobiography uh, by Billy Graham. Well, Billy Graham uh, met Dwight D. Eisenhower before he was elected president. And while Eisenhower was serving as a general in Europe, so Eisenhower had grown up in the, the Mennonite tradition uh, with fairly devout, uh, actually very devout parents, but privately told Billy Graham that he had gotten a long way from his faith. Uh, and he was kind of jaded by preachers who veered from spiritual truths to focus on worldly things and worldly enticements. However, once Eisenhower became president, he was baptized uh, and joined a Presbyterian church. He was, well, during his administration, in fact, even at the very beginning, President Eisenhower, Billy Graham, and others began what became known as the National Prayer Breakfast. And, and Billy Graham uh, was instrumental in, in helping um, uh, Dwight Eisenhower uh, d- develop in his faith and, and understand more spiritual truth as he grew, and especially within the context of prayer. Uh, and Dwight Eisenhower said this uh, at one of the, in fact, it was the very first prayer breakfast about prayer. Eisenhower says, personal prayer, it seems to me, is one of the simple necessities of life, as basic to the individual as sunshine, food, and water. And at times, of course, more so. By prayer, I believe we mean an effort to get in uh, in touch with the infinite. We know that our prayers are imperfect, but heard. Of course they are. We are imperfect human beings. A thousand experiences have convinced me beyond room for doubt that prayer multiplies the strength of the individual and brings within the scope of his capabilities almost any conceivable objection. Well, Billy Graham met with Eisenhower many times during his uh, term in office, including on the president's farm in Gettysburg in 1955. Eisenhower took Billy to the famed battlefield to the site where uh, his Billy's grandfather had fought during Pickett's charge. And he marveled at the amount of knowledge Eisenhower had about the Civil War. Uh, after all, he was amazingly uh, intelligent about the battlefields. And he learned things that he had never heard before. Well, later that afternoon, Eisenhower paced in front of the fireplace in his den and asked Billy if he believed in heaven. And he assured him he did and walked the president through God's gift of salvation uh, as he had done on previous occasions. Following his presidency, when Eisenhower became ill in 1968, he invited Billy to his bedside at Walter Reed 
Memorial Hospital. In his autobiography, Just As I Am, Billy recounts, as my scheduled 20 minutes with him extended to 30, he asked the doctor and nurses to leave us. Propped up on pillows amidst intravenous tubes, he took my hand and looked into my eyes, and he said, Billy, you've told me how to be sure my sins are forgiven and that I'm going to heaven. Would you tell me that again? And I took out my New Testament and read to him, again, that familiar gospel, uh, those verses, the precious promises of God about eternal life. And then my hand, still in his, I prayed briefly, and he said, thank you. I'm ready. And uh, in 1969, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower would would pass away and uh, go home to be with his Savior. In our call to action today, we want to leave you with this thought. America's story has been carved through the personal courage and ingenuity of individuals who stood strong when others wouldn't. We want you to take courage and be inspired by the lives of those who have gone before us, like Queen Esther in the Bible, in Esther chapter 4, for such a time as this, and had the strength to say and live out, like Queen Esther said, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to do God's will. Well, Tracy, why don't you give us uh, our final call to action today? Okay. I love the story about Eisenhower. And this is one of the reasons that he prayed at his inauguration because of this story right here. When he was 13, he had fallen and scratched his knee on his way home from school. They were coming um, home for uh, chores and to make a big big meal. By dinner time, the uh, shoe had to be cut off of his leg. When he scratched his knee, he didn't think anything of it. It bled, but he didn't think anything of it. But by that time they got back to dinner, his parents, his shoe had to be cut off because his leg was so swollen and it discolored his leg and had gone all the way up to his groin. His mother bathed his knee and foot and thigh. And as um, even as she watched, the angry infection grew worse. And she had already lost one son. So this was very hard. The doctor said and uh, came and said he couldn't save it. It will have to come off. And at that time, you know, if you worked on a farm, you had to have both your arms and both your legs. I called out to his brother, Ed, and told him, if I go out of my head, which he did, he became delirious. Don't let them take this off. Promise me, Ed, promise me. Now, at that time, Ed went into the kitchen and um, he got a fork so that I could bite on it for the pain. And he stood guard at the door for nights and days, skipping meals and sleeping in the doorway. And his eye became more de- delirious and babbling with pain and the fever mounted. Even as the swelling, swelling crept towards his hip, Ed would not relent. He had promised his brother he would block that door. His parents knew his son could never forgive an amputation, so they weren't sure what to do. So the stubborn attitude of Ike and Ed were unbelievable in defiance of the authority. The doc came by to see him and he, and yet he still refused. And he shouted, the doctor shouted, this is murder. Nothing but a miracle can save him now. So mom, dad, and Ed um, would rotate to be the one by his bedside praying for him. They went to their knees at his bedside every time they got to his bed. During the second night, the four other brothers joined in. The next morning, the doc stopped by and the swelling was going down and he gave a prayer of uh, thanksgiving. In three weeks, he could stand. And because of the story, knowing that God had healed him, the very first thing he said in his inaugural address was Almighty God. As we stand at this moment, 
My future associates in the executive branch of government join me in beseeching that thou will make full and complete our dedication to the service of this people. Well, Dwight Eisenhower may not have known exactly what God had in mind for him. We sometimes don't know what God has in mind for us, but we know that he's faithful to us. And as he moved uh, Dwight Eisenhower into the future, Dwight had a strong will to fight to preserve his leg and God healed him. So we know that that God um, rewards faithfulness. We know that, that God works in our lives uh, with adversity, and he wants us to continue to be faithful to him. God prepared Eisenhower for an extremely challenging time in our world uh, to lead our soldiers to victory in Europe and then lead our nation as president during a time of amazing challenges uh, and challenges to freedom. And he did that with godly integrity, humility, and faith. And that's the call to action uh, is we need to think about what God is doing in our lives and have integrity, humility, and faith. Well, before we wrap up this episode of Behind the Tour, we just want to take a minute uh, to remind you to click, like, and share, and subscribe to Behind the Tour on whatever listening platform that you use. Remember, uh, we bring thousands of people each year to all the sites that you hear us talk about on each episode. So if you'd like to see any of these in person for yourself, check out axe-tours.com. We've got lots of uh, amazing uh, information and sites on there. It's a wonderful website uh, to plan your trip with American Christian Tours and send your questions to behind the tour at axtours.com. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you know, we get a topic like this uh, in the memorial for Dwight D. Eisenhower, and it's 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 hard to fit into literally, a, you know, a half an hour or so. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, I want to thank you for being here, Tracy. And uh, yeah, any any parting thoughts for our <laughs> our listeners? Well, I agree. It's hard to fit it in a podcast. It's hard to fit it in at the memorial yeah. too. Um, when you're so excited to show the people this and you don't want to wear them out. (laughs) But um, thank you for the opportunity so much to talk about what we love, which is God first and history second. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, yeah. Thanks everybody for joining us today. And as always, remember that God, uh, that as God continues to write your story, uh, that it's a part of his story and he put you here and now in today, in this culture, in this age, for such a time as this. We'll see you next time.